everybody, and welcome to On the Safe Side, a podcast hosted by the editors of Safety and Health Magazine, the official magazine of the National Safety Council. This is episode four of our new venture, which is being recorded from our homes as the National Safety Council team is following CDC guidelines during this pandemic and working remotely. Wherever you're listening to this podcast today, we thank you for spending some time with us. My name is Barry Bettino, and I'm an associate editor with Safety and Health. With me, as always, are my fellow associate editors, Kevin Drulli and Alan Ferguson. Fellas, please say hello to the nice folks out there. Hello, everybody. Hi, everyone. We hope everyone listening today is safe and healthy amid the constantly changing COVID-19 pandemic. This is our June 2020 episode, so we want to say a happy National Safety Month to everyone listening, and we thank you for your commitment and dedication to safety and health. On this episode, we'll do a deep dive into one of our stories from the June issue of Safety and Health magazine with Alan, and we're excited to have Lorraine Martin, the President and CEO of the National Safety Council, with us for our five questions with dot 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 interview. With that said, fellas, let's kick this episode off. Each month here at On the Safe Side, we take a closer look at a feature story from the pages of Safety and Health magazine, which we call our deep dive segment. This month, Alan has an interesting story about arc flashes, which can cause catastrophic injuries to workers in a moment's time, but can be prevented, according to some experts that he spoke with. Alan, when you're ready, why don't you take us on a deep dive into this topic? I'll start with a quick arc flash definition from OSHA for anyone who may not know, and I'll keep this brief because I imagine that that many people may know this, but an arc flash is a phenomenon where electrical current leaves its intended path and travels through the air from one conductor to another or to the ground. And the stat that you often see out there is there's about five to 10 arc flash incidents per day in the U.S. And and that comes from a 2007 study by NIOSH researchers. There's a little debate over that estimate. Um, A 2015 report from the National Fire Protection Association uh, kind of mentioned that the origins for that estimate were unclear. And, And one article I read explained that one reason for that debate is that, or one possible reason for that debate is up until 2015, OSHA only required employers to report arc flash incidents when there was a fatality or if there were three or more hospital or three or more workers hospitalized. So if there was an incident where there was, you know, one or two workers hospitalized, it, it might not get reported. So perhaps in the future we'll see some accurate numbers that everyone can agree on, but but rather than focus on the frequency of these events, the key thing to remember is that whenever arc flash incidents happen around workers, they can be destructive life-altering events that, that occur in the blink of an eye. And there are a couple of videos out there I've watched, and those are, are really scary. And um, fire and burns are the major issues during these events because arc flashes can reach temperatures of uh, 10,000 degrees, and that's, that's roughly as hot as the surface of the sun. And you know, the sound of such an explosion is, an, is another issue because it, it, it can get as high as 140 to 160 decibels and that's like being 30 yards away from a a jet plane taking off and so there can be issues resulting from that Um, and then just the the pure power of the narc flash can knock someone completely off their feet and onto their back so you have potential concussions you have um, collision injuries from colliding with objects So what are some of the reasons why these incidents happen? Um, One of the first ones is in not ensuring that work is done in a de-energized state. 
Kind of NFPA 70E standard calls for equipment operating at 50 volts or more to be de-energized, locked out, and tagged out before maintenance and other work is performed. And, and that's what the 70E standards calls an electrically safe working or safe work condition. Uh, as a quick aside for those that may not know, the NFPA 70E standard is extremely important because it provides the ways in which employers can comply with OSHA regulations. Kind of OSHA is the shall, NFPA is the how, is the way one source put it. And another source said that pressures such as time and money might cause employers and employees to permit energized work when they shouldn't. Let's say you're, you know, you're taking a key piece of equipment out of service in a facility and there's pressure to get the maintenance or whatnot done for perhaps taking the proper steps to ensure the equipment is de-energized. Um, but if the proper steps are taken to de-energize, lock out and tag out, and the equipment is not defective, uh, one source said that arc flashes are extremely rare. So it's always in, it's important to do the right things. And as we all know, if you do the right things on the front end, it can will save you quite a bit in many different ways on the back end. And one source alludes in the story alludes to that ROI of safety or return on investment which is a subject that Kevin wrote about in the magazine about a year and a half ago. And so this source said that an arc flash event is going to cost you more time than ensuring equipment is de-energized. And these incidents can also incur other costs such as emotional pain for workers and slash management um, or decrease in company morale and, and the list can go on. So moving to the next point, another key part, in trying to prevent arc flash incidents and making sure the proper maintenance and cleaning is done. You know, a buildup of dust can create a path for electricity to travel. And let's say you're in a food processing factory where there are powders in the air. If that gets into your electrical equipment, that can also cause an issue. And that's why items such as pull boxes, junction boxes, and fittings need to have covers according to OSHA regulations. Uh, corrosion of electrical equipment can cause issues, as can intrusion of water, animals such as rats, snakes, or even armadillos, as one source told me. Um, another reason for arc flash incidents is what is one source called poorly designed or cheaped out equipment that just barely meets the uh, National Electrical Code standards. And there's also something called lookalike equipment that can be an issue in uh, many industrial settings. Electrical equipment is, you know, is a large series of gray cabinets, so there can be confusion over what areas are, are energized or de-energized. And the uh, 70E standard details the methods to mitigate that hazard of lookalike equipment with safety signs and tags, barricades, or an attendant stationed to warn and protect employees. And lookalike equipment played a role in the 2015 incident at the Los Alamos National Laboratory. Uh, a crew of workers was conducting cleaning and maintenance operations when one member of the team entered a cubicle he thought was de-energized and began spraying cleaning product. Well, the problem was the signage was unclear and the cubicle wasn't de-energized. Um, that spray ignited an arc flash. It caused substantial burns and a head injury, but the worker survived in part because he was wearing the proper clothing. So communication is a big key, as it is with many other safety topics, and part of that is ensuring that electrical diagrams are up to date. Uh, one source said that using an out-of-date electrical diagram is like using a map from the 1800s instead of your GPS. And he added he's been in facilities where those diagrams are 30 years old. And so to wrap up the list, the import, other important steps to avoiding arc flash incidents is making sure you have the proper training and procedures, 
ensuring that only qualified employees perform electrical work and avoiding distractions, you know, staying focused on the dangerous task at hand. Alan, you mentioned proper clothing. Uh, could you explain a little bit more about that? So the key term here is arc-rated clothing. Uh, all clothing is flame-resistant, but not all flame-resistant or FR clothing is arc-rated. Now, the NFPA 70E standard has uh, more information on arc-rated clothing that's needed based on, quote, potential incident energy exposure, close quote. And there's also references to ASTM and ANSI ISEA standards for the types of clothing. Uh, OSHA's Electric Power Generation Transmission and Distribution Standard, that's uh, 1910.269 for those keeping score at home, states that employers must ensure all workers who are exposed to electrical arc or fire hazards don't wear clothing that can melt onto their skin or ignite. Uh, one source said that most people aren't fatally injured directly as a result of an arc flash, but in part because of burns resulting from flammable clothing. And the important thing is for workers not only to wear arc-rated clothing, but also to do what uh, motorcyclists like to call ATGAT, to reference a, a previous Family Safety and Health magazine story that I wrote. I mean, ATGAT stands for all the gear, all the time. And one source said the biggest challenge we have is getting our electrical workers to, well, art, to wear all of their arc-rated clothing. And all too often they had their gloves and shirt on, but not the pants. And they didn't have all of their PPE on. Alan, you also mentioned in the story a few innovations out there that can help prevent arc flash incidents. Uh, could you talk a little bit more about a couple of those? So two sources uh, I talked to are big into safety by design, as, as many people are. And an example of that is a remote racking system for circuit breakers. And the video I saw is basically it's a device that's attached to a two-wheel dolly that allows an employee to wheel it in and do the work remotely while staying outside the arc flash boundary. And other examples of safety by design include vo voltage presence indicators. So a worker can visibly see if a piece of equipment may have some stray voltage. Uh, there are also visible blades on safety switches and arc quenching switch gear. And one source also noted the use of uh, computers and mobile devices to turn off electrical components. So hopefully, you know, these innovations will reduce the number of arc flash incidents and the damage that they cause. Well, thank you so much, Alan, for sharing your insights on this topic. Uh, for folks who would like to learn more, please do check out the June issue of Safety and Health magazine and see more of Alan's work on the story. If you're listening to this podcast, we're pretty sure you like staying safe on the job and keeping others safe as well. We're also pretty sure that you want to stay safe and healthy when you're away from work, and we have a great way to help you out. It's Family Safety and Health magazine from the makers of the award-winning Safety and Health magazine. Family Safety and Health has tips and advice on topics from the home to the roadway and from your local parks and recreation areas to your medicine cabinet. Visit nsc.org wellness or call 800-621-7619 to learn how you can get a subscription for yourself, your coworkers, your friends, and your family. Remember, that's Family Safety and Health, brought to you by the same team that brings you Safety and Health magazine each and every month. Our guest on this episode is a familiar face to the three of us here at On the Safe Side. Since we often read her emails, we watch her Martin Moment videos, and before COVID-19, we saw her quite a bit around the hallways at the National Safety Council offices. We'd like to welcome the President and CEO of the National Safety Council, and our guest this month, Lorraine Martin. Lorraine, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. Well, before we kick off our five questions with dot, dot, dot segment this month, Lorraine, we want to say happy National Safety Month to you. 
Tell us how you plan to honor this occasion this month and what should safety professionals do to celebrate? Yeah, thank you for asking. So National Safety Month, June, focuses on saving lives and preventing injuries from the workplace to any place. And annually, unintentional injuries total tens of million, like 46.5 million in 2018 alone. And safety just doesn't stop right now when we're dealing with this pandemic. So we all know we need to really double down on really making sure that we're keeping people safe no matter where they are. And it's critical really now more than ever. And that's really why we're still recognizing June as National Safety Month. And actually, we're going to make it a little bit special this year uh, because of everything that we're all facing. Uh, given the current state of the world, uh, the month is looking a little different for us. And instead of focusing sort of on a single topic each week, um, NSC is going to be providing real-time, kind of relevant resources on a variety of topics to help keep workers safe, including things like mental health, ergonomics, especially for all of those that are working in our closets or in our dining room tables, um, things about building safety culture, and always about driving. Um, in addition, we're going to be offering some guidelines and recommendations for companies to navigate this very challenging work environment we find ourselves in, and part of our SAFER initiative, which stands for Safe Actions for Employee Returns. Um, during the month, and actually during any time, we encourage organizations to visit nsc.org NSM, which is National Safety Month, for free downloads, resources, tip sheets, webinar information, social media toolkits, and much more. So we really hope that you can take advantage of that to help promote safety in your workplace. In addition, we're going to do something a little new this year, and you can individually honor those who keep, who, who keep them safe uh, with a donation to NSC and nsc.org, NSM Safer. And these donations will help us in the, at the National Safety Council and the Safer effort create the resources that are needed across our nation's workforce right now so that folks can come back to work in a, a post-quarantine environment safely. This is an effort uh, where we are providing all kinds of tools and resources to folks to really address the safety of their workplaces right now um, across our country. Um, and then finally, the thing that's a really a little bit more exciting too for us during National Safety Month is that we will be unveiling the new face to the world uh, of the National Safety Council, i.e. our new logo, yes, and a new look and feel. So we've been um, you know, bringing safety to the world for a century or more. We look forward to doing that for the next century, and we have a, a little bit of a, a new facelift to enable that. So look forward to sharing that with everybody during National Safety Month. Great. Thanks, Lorraine. Uh, our team got a sneak peek at the new logo and our new look and feel, and it's, it's pretty exciting. Uh, so I'm excited to see everybody in our audience uh, take a look at that this month as well. So every month during our five questions with dot, dot, dot segment, we discuss our guests' work life and sprinkle in one additional question related to lives and interests away from work that we call our pop quiz. So first, Lorraine, we want to ask, considering the serious nature of what's going on around the globe today, how do you think the COVID-19 pandemic might change the safety world? Yeah, that's a really good question. And, and one, I think a lot of... Uh, leaders and um, uh, safety professionals are all uh, considering right now. Uh, we've seen COVID-19 change the safety world already, you know, and, um, you know, we're having to rise to the challenge, which is really wonderful, and everyone is. Um, but how much of that change will be permanent or long-term, and what pieces of that are what I've been calling silver linings that we want to make sure that we hold on to um, as we navigate the future? Um, one of the things that's been really um, you know, interesting for us to navigate is that many employees have been 
uh, working from home, but a lot of employees are still working in their traditional work environments, those that were considered essential, but those environments have changed. And it's really important for employees and employers uh, to really focus on maintaining the right procedures and the right practices um, while we're in that work environment. And we've, you know, we've always known about PPE as safety professionals, but now the whole world knows what PPE stands for. And we need to make sure that we're really doing the right things today in those work, work environments. Um, still other employees, as we know, uh, many of us on the line here today are working from home. And you think, well, that's not the, you know, that's not work. There's, there's not, you know, cables falling out of the sky or you don't have to, to worry about some of the traditional work, workplace and uh, environment safety issues. But we all know as safety professionals but that the community and home have their own safety risks and they have their own um, challenges with making sure that you can do what you're doing uh, safely, whether that's uh, traditional environmental safety issues or specifically things like ergonomics and making sure that as you're doing your job, you're doing it in a way that's not giving your body stress. So really important for us to, to learn from all of that newness, all that difference that the issue has uh, COVID has brought to us, but then ask what pieces of that do we want to continue uh, to perhaps bring to our safety challenge on the other side. Uh, we have always uh, recommended that there be uh, sort of task forces or uh, disaster preparedness plans in place for all organizations. Um, and if you don't have one right now around COVID-19, it's really important that you do. Um, just how long those task force will be needed, I don't know. Most organizations have them. Certainly the National Safety Council does. We meet every morning. And it's important to know uh, that you, you've got a new muscle um, in being able to address something that disrupted your organization. Um, and I know that for the most organizations and, and any of the really top-notch ones, your ESH safety provide, uh, person is on that task force and is contributing uh, on a daily basis of how to keep people safe and to, and to navigate through this. Um, it's really kind of too early for us to know on the road what's all happening, but we are hearing reports that's a, that even though the number of miles being driven is, is drastically reduced in most states, we're seeing an increase in, in uh, fatal crashes. In some cases, even over what would, we would have seen in April of a year ago when we had everyone on the road. So there's something going on there that we really need to pay attention to. We do know that driving is is uh, the number one uh, fatality in workplaces, or it has been for us in the past as we look at all the data. So we really need to be focusing on what's going on there. What are the traffic issues that we're seeing uh, that that have become about because of this this new dynamic? We do know what you know you need to do to be safe on the road. It's to buy buckle up, it's to not drive impaired, and it's to drive at the speed limit. Um, and none of those, uh, you know, sort of traffic uh, cautions are on quarantine for us. They're still present in, in every roadway and the techniques that we need to make sure that we're doing ourselves for our families and, and in the workplace um, are, are as important as ever. So we know that the police officers are currently you know, handling other things for us right now, uh, first responding and, and other kinds of uh, uh, things related to the pandemic. So it's just really important that we as citizens drive well, don't cause uh, crashes for anyone uh, so that we don't divert those resources. Just really, really important. Uh, we know that, you know, correlation doesn't always mean causation, uh, but we really need to look at the data as it starts to evolve for us and understand what's going on on our roadways so that we can do something about that and make sure that does, you know, we address it and it doesn't come with us going forward because that would be, um, uh, that would be a, a dramatic uh, impact to the safety of folks on the roadway. 
Um, we're also monitoring things having to do with the stress related to this and issues having to do with substance abuse and um, issues having to do with uh, mental health. We know that when any time something happens in our world, whether it's a hurricane or a fire, a national disaster, in this case a pandemic, there's a lot of stress um, and mental health issues on the other side. And it's really, really important for us to be focusing on that, understanding what kind of tools we can provide, and make sure we carry some of those forward with us, because those are just great tools and resources to have for our employees, um, you know, at any time. Uh, so again, it's important for us to look at what's different right now, how to make sure we keep people safe during this unprecedented time, and also find those silver linings that our safety professionals can grab as little nuggets and make sure that we bring forward um, as we as we navigate the future. So you mentioned this earlier, um, the National Safety Council is uh, partnering with numerous other companies and organizations as part of the Safer Actions for Employee Returns initiative, known as SAFER. How is the initiative going to help uh, bring workers safely back to the workplace? Yeah, thanks for asking about that. It is a fairly new initiative for us, and it is specifically focused on providing those tools uh, to companies and, employer and employees of how to prioritize and plan for their safe resumption of work, or in some cases, expanding their work. If they, they had to be open during this time, they may have been doing it at sort of a reduced workload or different uh, work shifts. So it's, it's really all of those materials uh, to help guide folks. Um, we are going to be serving the nation, and we have for our entire existence as the voice of safety in the workplace. And this is now the challenge of how to do this and do this well. Um, so the, the, the real benefit we have right now is that we have 16,000 members for the National Safety Council. We also have folks in the community that have said, uh, we want to help, um, which is wonderful. Um, and so many of them are global companies, and many of them have put practices in place in China and have had to open up and understand what that meant, done some trial and error, and understand how to navigate that in France, in Italy, in some of the countries that are in front of us. So we get a chance now to to use some of that learning and not necessarily have all of us go through that same trial of trial and error. So we've created a task force, which is comprised of Fortune 500 companies, leading safety organizations, some government agencies, public health, um, looking at all of these issues uh, that are going to be important for us, and they're really aggregating their learning, their playbooks, um, sort of white labeling, as you, as you might say. They've just said, if we have something that can be of value, we'd love to contribute it here, have it, and now our task, working with the task force, is to make that as widely available and as useful as possible. So we're looking at Six issues specifically, physical environment, emotional and mental health, medical uh, considerations, including things like temperature taking and all of that, communications and how to do that well with your employees and with the community, external factors, and then of course, employment and HR related needs. Um, we're gonna look at all of those things and then also look at the operational environments. Are you in a closed manufacturing environment? Are you open manufacturing? Are you facing a customer? So do you have uh, interactions with the public? Um, and are you in a standard office environment? And then saying how each of these uh, procedures and toolkits can be uh, tailored to those operational environments. So just really exciting for us to be able to provide those resources and it's been amazing to have uh, so many folks come forward and just say, how can I help? Which has just been amazing. Well, certainly you've had some previous experience with safety in your career, be it the military, Lockheed Martin, or elsewhere. But what have you learned about safety in this role that you might not have known before? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, you know, companies like Lockheed Martin and other aerospace and defense are, are very good at, at safety 
um, understanding of understanding how to ensure their employees are safe and understanding that the products that they build have to keep the end users safe. So really appreciated that culture there. I think one of the things that I've learned since then is um, how mental health or an employee, a person's um, you know, well-being at any time, whether it's mental or physical, uh, really does play into the factor of helping to keep them safe. And that safety programs have to include that, that human aspect of the safety equation when you're looking at your safety culture and your safety um, you know, hazards, um, the humans part of that, of that equation and having them be fit to do what they need to do as they go to do it, whether it's physical and mental, is a, is a really big important thing for us to all be uh, focused on. And I think, you know, I, I wasn't as aware of that. I think the National Safety Council has done a fantastic job of thinking about that dynamic. And clearly this pandemic situation is causing us to, um, to look at that head on. Uh, because not only the medical side of this and, and making sure that you can be safe interacting with other human beings, but also the stress associated with it. So I think that was a learning that I had um, since I've come to the National Safety Council, how important that is. Well, Lorraine, you've talked in the past about being present as a safety leader, including I remember a story you told about climbing into the, the fuel tank of an aircraft to see an issue that workers were having with your own eyes. How is being present in this space different from working in, say, your military career or in global defense? Yeah, so presence, you know, you can't pop into the cubicle and say, how you doing, or walk down the production line and say, what can I do for you? What's in your way? Um, as easily as you can now. But remember, there's a lot of folks that are still in the work environment, and they are still going to their traditional work environment, and it's important for supervisors and, and leaders to be showing up and to, and to safely be present. Uh, so that's really important. And to use the PPE the way it needs to be used and to model all of that. So while I can't do that because I'm stuck in my house here right now, as, as most of the National Safety Council is, we can be present and make sure that we're taking care of people from um, that mental health point of view by being on the phone, doing the blue jeans, using the tools that we do have so that you can touch base with people and make sure that you um, you know, you know how they're doing, and that's really important today. Uh, but I will tell you, when when I can back, get back out to go to our work sites, and and we have several across the nation, and most importantly, to go to our members' work sites and hear what they are doing, not only in their traditional operations, but now as they put safety mechanisms in place, I will be doing that. I won't do it till it's appropriate for them for me to do that. I've got to model the right behavior as well. Um, but in, in, until this hit, I really it was so energizing for me and and instructive for me to go to the car manufacturers. First time I had been on a, a manufacturing line there to go to, um, you know, to see some warehouses, big, big box warehouses, furniture companies, all the different diversity of who we serve and to be able to really um, hear what they're, what they're doing and, and what they need. So I'll continue to do that. It's just gonna take a little bit, but as leaders now, uh, we do need to be present wherever our employees are, whether it's meeting them here on Blue Jeans, as we do at the National Safety Council, or for those that are working to make sure our supervisors are there too. So what would you like your uh, legacy at NSC to be? My legacy to be? Well, you know, have come at a really challenging time here, very, very uh, rewarding as well, because we get to serve our core mission, which is keeping people safe from the workplace to any place. And that's what our whole nation is currently faced on. So I'm hoping that my legacy will be that, that we as a team were able to provide services through this uh, crazy time um, and that folks were safer and stronger on the other side of it. Uh, we've never experienced something like this and 
the National Safety Council's, you know, why we exist is is a, a clearer now than ever. So I'm not sure it's my legacy. I'm, I'm hoping it will be the, the council's legacy, and I'm just honored to be here uh, to support the team as we work our way through this. And it would be great to, to lower, and that's our goal, to lower the number of unintentional injuries and deaths in the U.S. That will be our goal over the next five years. We've we put that stake in the ground, uh, but first and foremost, we need to serve people where they are today, and that is to make sure that we get to the other side of, of this workplace challenge in a way where we have served and served well. As promised, Lorraine, we do have that pop quiz question for you, the one pertaining to life away from work. And this one's inspired by a reference that you made during the opening session of the 2019 NSC Congress and Expo in San Diego, where you had mentioned the concept of being that wingman for, wingman for someone. Um, would that make you a big Top Gun fan then? Or what would your favorite military film be? You know, um, I'm not sure I have a favorite military film. I will say that, you know, Top Gun for a lot of pilots was something that, that got them their juices uh, for folks of my generation going and so a lot of the pilots that I dealt with when I was building fighter aircraft you know that was something that was in their lexicon and and certainly with the the new movie whenever it comes out having one of the airplanes that I got the honor to build being in that'll just be that'll be just a hoot so um I don't know if it's my favorite I will say I also like a few good men you know you can't handle the truth um there's some really good you know, sort of dynamics and, and uh, leadership lessons in that. So I guess they both have Tom Cruise. I don't know that I'm necessarily a Tom Cruise fan, um, but I do like movies that, that that challenge us to think about leading and think about dilemmas. And and uh, certainly both of those are fun. And uh, I, I don't know if I'd call it my favorite, but um, uh, certainly if they come on uh, and you're flipping the channel, I'll often pause there. So maybe that's a signal. <laughs> Well, Lorraine, thank you. We, we truly appreciate you joining us on the podcast, and the, the Jack Nicholson impression was, was a bonus. But we uh, we can't wait to see you again, hopefully soon, around the office. Again, thank you. Thank, thank you, Lorraine. You Be safe. You too. Well, as we always say, guys, we know the drill. This is episode number four, so we will now deliver our answers for the favorite military film. I, I thought, I guess mine might be maybe the first military film that I was uh, exposed to or had seen. I remember the historical drama Glory from, I believe, 1989 um, tells the story of the Massachusetts 54th Regiment. It was a volunteer infantry of black soldiers who fought in the Civil War. I remember, I guess it was a, a seventh or eighth grade classmate who was a particular history buff and lobbied to get some clips shown in social studies class or something to that effect. It couldn't be the whole movie because it, it is rated R now that I see looking it, looking it up again. But just, again, telling the story, you know, I'm sure it maybe didn't occur to some folks that that black people fought in, in the war to free the slaves themselves. So it, it tells that story of, again, that regiment. Um, it has some star powers. You might expect a movie like that to have Denzel Washington and Morgan Freeman and Matthew Broderick leads the regiment. But I'd say glory. It was, you know, again, I was young when I first had seen parts of it and still stays with it. Lorraine mentioned, you know, Top Gun and a few good men. And this one might not be on cable as often, but it is worth uh, worth checking out. How about you, Alan? I, it, it occurred to me that your hometown has the name of a World War II film in it, the, the Memphis Bell, but what, what would your answer be? Uh, no, it wouldn't be Memphis Bell. Um, uh, my first one would probably be Patton uh, with George C. Scott. Um, really liked that movie, especially his portrayal. Um, and then another one, this is actually does come from my Tennessee roots, perhaps, and I saw this when I was a kid. It was... Um, Sergeant York with Gary Cooper. I, I really liked that movie when I, when I was a kid, and I 
I have it. I just recorded it again on my DVR so I could so I could watch it again whenever I wanted. So, how about you, uh, Barry? Well, much like Lorraine, guys, I can't say I'm the world's biggest Tom Cruise fan, but I did really enjoy his <laughs> performance in Born on the Fourth of July. Um, was incredibly powerful about soldiers coming back from Vietnam. Also, um, Robin Williams in Good Morning Vietnam was is an incredible performance as well. So those are those are two big ones for me. Yeah, that's a good one. Well, we want to say thanks to everyone out there for spending some time with us today. And remember, if you want to keep your employees, your colleagues, and your family members safe, we have just the publication for you, Family Safety and Health. Each issue is packed with helpful tips that will keep families safe at home and in the community, along with informational articles about your health. To get a free copy or learn more, visit nsc.org wellness or subscribe by calling 800-621-7619. We'll be back next month with a new episode of On the Safe Side, but in the meantime, feel free to tell a friend about this podcast. If you'd like to share some feedback, email us at safehealth at nsc.org. To find stories such as Alan's ArcFlash article and all the latest news about safety and health, visit us online at safetyandhealthmagazine.com and make sure you follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. We'd like to thank our NSC colleague and sound guru, Chelsea Yang, and original music for this podcast was provided by Steve Maslin. On behalf of our team at the National Safety Council, we hope you, your friends and family are all safe and healthy amid the COVID-19 crisis. We'll be back next month with another episode to have more safety-related discussions, talk to trusted voices from around the profession, and hopefully make you smile a little during this trying time. Until then, please stay on the safe side. Mm -hmm.